Hello and welcome to Young and Sober, the podcast where we discuss what it means to get sober under the age of 30 and stay sober. If you're sober, sober curious or just curious, you've come to the right place. Any discussions heard here today are personal to the individual and should not be taken as the stance of AA as a whole. Welcome to episode five. This week we will be chatting to Hannah who's come to talk to us about being young, sober and dating. How's your weekend going, Han? Yeah, it's been good. Um, Lots of fellowship. Um, I'm working, so I pack in most of my meetings on the weekend. Um, So I came back from a meeting. I've had a bath to prepare myself spiritually, and now I'm here with you guys. Sounds amazing. Sounds like a dream of a weekend. (laughs) Very relaxed. Um, So just before we get to our chat about dating, we're just going to start with a question from our listeners. Um, Becca asks, what is your favourite thing about meetings? Do you want to kick us off, Han? Yeah, um, my, my favourite thing about meetings is really simple. It's just the people. Um, it's the community and the people and the friendships that we build up. Um, and the fact that everyone is always so happy to see each other. Um, it's really been my best way of of building connections and friendships in in sobriety obviously it gives us a lot more than that but that's um without that that's the that's the most important thing to me amazing christian Mm. um i think in my early days the thing i liked about meetings was that it was like almost like a getaway like an escape from like real life like and just i felt very accepted um and I didn't have to, I wasn't there to like impress anybody. Um, I could be, you know, as sociable or unsociable as I liked, you know, I didn't, there was no pressure, mm. um, which is unlike my kind of socializing and, you know, the drink when I was drinking and feeling like I had to be on all the time and, you know, always making sure people liked me. Whereas with meetings, I just sort of felt like I don't have to like put on a mask and I can just be myself. Mm. Yeah, I think mine, I would echo that because it's the lack of judgment for me. I think that, like you said, it's it's just come as you are. And there's very few meetings that I've been to where I've ever felt, yeah, judged for anything. I feel like I can I can bring exactly what I need to bring and share exactly what I need to share and never feel like anyone's gonna hold it against me. You know, those things that I've said in meetings that I never thought I'd share with another soul. And I've been able to share them in front of a group of sometimes 50 people and feel like that's okay, which, you know, when I was drinking would have seemed like the Mm. furthest thing from what I thought I'd ever be able to do. Mm. Yeah. Um, Okay, so Han, do you just want to tell us a bit about what brought you to sobriety and how long you've been sober? Yeah, absolutely. So I um, got sober when I was 29 um and um it's nearly four years since I went to my first meeting um I my my drinking escalated very very quickly I suppose is probably the case for most people listening um and for me I came in um at where I was more or less a, a bog standard alcoholic. I was drinking every day. I was a morning drinker. Um, I was sleeping with a bottle of vodka next to my bed. Um, and for me, it was the the mundanity of 
living in a Groundhog Day existence of drinking, tearing my life down and then rebuilding it on a, a basis where the time between those cycles kept getting shorter and shorter. Um, and on my last day of drinking, it wasn't any huge disaster um, or big chaos that I caused. It was just knowing that I was again in that cycle, it was going to keep happening and I just didn't want it to keep happening anymore. I wanted to to get out of it. Um, mm. So I, I walked into my first meeting. I think I met you at my second ever meeting. We were about a week behind each other. I was about a week behind you, I think. Yeah, it was my first meeting was on a Sunday morning and I met you the following Saturday morning. Mm. Mad, isn't it? Yeah. Just now. <laughs> <laughs> um, so sober dating. I've been really excited about this one. I mean, I'm excited every week, but this is juicy. This is a juicy week. <laughs> Wouldn't you agree, Christian? Um, <laughs> I've been a bit more like nervous about it because I'm like, oh god, could be some uh, some corkers. But um, yeah, no, let's do it. I mean, the more <laughs> the more honest we are the better I think so yeah yeah I think that's the thing isn't it there's there's a bit more kind of embarrassment and self-consciousness for a lot I think for everyone around this subject because it yeah. it hits quite close to home in a lot of ways and it's a lot it's quite personal so again thank you Hannah so much for coming to share this mm -hmm. this stuff with yeah. us it's a it's a tricky topic um so let's just start with with how long you've been dating sober well, I mean, I've been dating sober since I got sober. Um, I have been dating, you know, on and off continuously. Um, I'm single at the moment, so I'm dating right now. Um, and like most things, I go through times when I'm putting more focus and more energy on it. And sometimes where I feel like that's not the best place for my energy at the moment. Um, I've had a few shortish relationships um, during that time um but yes I've got nearly four years experience on that so hopefully I'll have some things to say mm, yeah and I mean my my story is a little bit different so I dated one person I think it was in my first year for about three months and then I didn't date at all for the next two and a half years because right. I was my mental health was a bit of a mess so I was just kind of focusing on that and I was in and out of hospital and I was basically just like I do not have space in my brain or in my life for another human being it's taking as much as I can do to just focus mm. on myself right now um and then I started dating again at the beginning of last year and then lockdown happened so I've been trying to navigate the dating world the sober dating world in lockdown which has added a whole other dimension of fun which I'm sure we will touch on. Yeah if dating sober wasn't already um something which people were worried about then there is an extra aspect. <laughs> yeah exactly and Christian? Yeah so my this is um not you know uh compulsory um and it's not even in any of the literature but my sponsor suggested that I didn't date in my first year. I came in single. It wasn't just not dating, it was the fact it was, it was essentially not making any major changes in my first year. So that could have been moving jobs, it could have been uh, 
changing where I lived, um, but also changing my relationship status. Um, and the reason for that um, was to give myself the best chance of uh, recovery. Um, and I'm sort of glad that I, I stuck with that. Um, but the funny thing is, as soon as that year was up, everything changed. <laughs> <laughs> you went uh, wild. All or nothing, just like, <laughs> I'm going to start dating everyone. I'm going to move to Brighton. I'm going to change, you know. So, yeah, there's some funny stories off the back of that that I'll touch on later. I'm really glad that you mentioned that one year thing because I, my sponsor did mention it to me, but to begin with, I didn't listen. And I was on the dating apps and I was talking to loads of people and da da da. But I mean, we'll get into stuff later. I did not have a physical relationship with anybody. Um, and I met this guy who I immediately spilled my entire life story to on our first date. He didn't run a mile, he loved it, he thought it was brilliant which I now see as a slight red flag, but anyway. Um, and we proceeded to kind of see each other on and off. We, you know, we weren't sleeping together. We were just spending time together. Um, and he thought my sobriety was brilliant. And, you know, as time went on, I just realized this guy just wasn't right for me. Um, and I ended it and he turned around and said, well, you know, I've been stoned the whole time we've been together anyway and he hadn't told me. And that was his way of saying, you know, F you, I don't care because I've been stoned. I kind of like, okay, maybe maybe I'll just leave dating for the rest of my first year and I won't do it. And I'll listen to my sponsor. Um, and I mean, then a whole bunch of other things happened so I didn't end up dating anyway, but I, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. But for me being the stubborn person that I am, I had to try it and prove to myself that I didn't think I was ready. I couldn't take somebody else telling me. It had to be on my terms. Um, but yeah, how did you, did you do that, Han? Yeah, so I dated in my first year. Um, so yeah, as, as Christian touched on, the, there is a suggestion in the rooms that you're probably here, um, not that it's best not to date in your first year. Um, of course, I didn't listen to that suggestion. Mm -hmm. uh, and um, I, uh, I didn't, you know, burst into flame. I didn't have a relapse, um, but I, um, I started seeing someone, I think when I was about three months sober um, and we were together for, for two or three months and it was a very nice relationship, um, which ended. But what it showed me was perhaps why that suggestion is useful. And for me, I, was a very very different person when I met this man when I was three months sober than I was when I was six months sober and that's for me I was growing suddenly at such an exponential rate once I became sober and I think we grow so much in that first year of sobriety that you may not know who you are yet really and who you are will change and it will grow and my passion for life and my energy and my interests were growing so fast that I, I outgrew that person. Um, that person was no longer exciting to me or interested in the same things as I was. And it, it literally came down to, and I think I, I called you that day actually, um, was I was supposed to be seeing him in the evening and I just wanted to go to a yoga class. And I wanted to be at that yoga class more than I wanted to see them. And I realized 
that this isn't this isn't right um so i i ended it um and i did stay sober for the rest of that year um but i thought that was that was especially interesting um and i also think one you know being able to have a relationship was one of the first things i thought i would be able to do i thought one of the first benefits of sobriety would be right i will be i will be able to fill this hole um and actually there are so many other things that come along to fill the hole in the first year. Love isn't just a relationship. Love is connection with fellows, um, it's support, it's community, it's all these other things that come in to, to fill our lives. Mm. Um, and allowing them in before you allow a relationship in gives more space for all of those beautiful things to come along. Um, and also sobriety, in the first year especially is such an amazing gift to just wake up on a Sunday morning in a clean flat where I know where my phone is, sitting in my bed, drinking a cup of coffee. And I, I would say to anyone, take the time to enjoy that. Take the time to enjoy that on your own, relish it, luxuriate in it. Um, if you want someone else there with you, farting under the covers and leaving <laughs> the floor, then all power to you. But you know this there is time there is time enjoy this time that you have for yourself to for self-care um and and to be you know a little bit selfish with yourself and and that time um because yeah that the, there is no there is no rush um i love what you said there about um you I think this is another good point like in your first year like you are literally it's kind of like going from from stone to stone like just like you're kind of rocky you're you're sort of, it's almost like a tick box exercise like staying sober and and for me at least it was like if I don't do this I was, I was scared what might happen if I didn't do it and it was almost it was like I have to do this or it's gonna end badly so the idea of, <laughs> I think also with like romantic relationships, you tend to attract uh, kind of people who are at a similar place to you at yeah. that particular stage. And, you know, really, do I really want to be dating somebody that is like full of fear, <laughs> like recovering from addiction and alcoholism? Like, no. No, not really. And I think the the other thing that's like such a great point, Christian, is that we, we're like babies. We're like babies when we come into sobriety. Everything is new because we're, it's almost like you're seeing everything for the first time. Um, and I mean, I think, you know, hearing what you said, Han, like you and I were very lucky in the sense that the partner that we were with, we decided we didn't want to be with them anymore but that rocky ground that you're on, and I will hold my hands up and say, if somebody had broken up with me that I really liked at that point, I might well have relapsed. I really might have relapsed because the emotional turmoil that we go through dating anyway, I mean, dating now is hard enough, but yeah. when you're in your early days of sobriety, you are so up and down emotionally that the potential for throwing another kind of it's like throwing a spanner in the works, throwing another thing that's going to cause you to go up and down and in and out and all over the place on top of all that emotional, emotional turmoil that you're already in. It's, it's potentially quite dangerous, isn't it? Yeah, and, and dating as well is, it, 
if we're we're looking to to do it quote properly or or in earnest it's hard work yeah. you know uh shaving our legs <laughs> staying yeah, in ma- maintaining yeah. the contact with people and so on and, and there is enough that we are trying to to do and there are enough suggestions and things to do in that first year without giving yourself an extra job um and and yeah I think you're right Alex it's a really good point we both had you know relatively safe um outcomes of dating in our first year but yes all, all sorts can happen um and you want to be as strong and as protected as you can be before you venture into that yeah totally and I mean I I still say to anyone when I do talk about dating that romance throws me out of balance like nothing else like absolutely nothing else work stress you know it's difficult but I can handle it you know, family stress, difficult, I can handle it. Global pandemic, difficult, I can handle it. <laughs> Romance, on the other hand, sends me, I turn into a loon, an absolute loon. And I definitely am much more aware of it and much more, I don't even want to say in control because I'm not in control of it, but much more able to manage it than I used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's difficult. And I mean, I think especially with the concerns that I had coming in about what what sober dating would look like. I mean, I knew that I was I was very scared about having sex sober. I still am. Christian and I have talked about this. Hannah, you and I have talked about this. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm still scared at the, at the prospect of sober sex. And just letting someone in, being vulnerable and mm. trusting, trusting people. Um, because the alcohol was like an armor against that stuff. I didn't have to worry about trusting people. I didn't worry about, you know, performance anxiety or the way that I look naked or, you know, being funny enough or clever enough or entertaining enough or sustainably all of those things enough, because when I was drunk, I just didn't care. Whereas Mm -hmm. I knew getting sober that all of those things, all of those fears were there and I didn't have alcohol to quiet them. Um, Mm. so yeah. yeah what kind of things did you worry about I I think you you use the word control I think control is is very key because relationships are one thing where we really are powerless um and it's a practice of of powerlessness um not in that the other person has has the power and that's very important um but they're not something that we can control Um, And sometimes for me, I can get into a place of control. Um, And I know for me, sometimes I can get more focused on trying to form a relationship or what looks like a good relationship. Um, I actually did this, especially before I was sober. I I thought I must must have a relationship. I must be living with someone and have something that looks like um, I'm progressing in my life. And I, I... got there I was living with this lovely man um, and we had a beautiful home and I was sat there on our sofa one night with him watching tv and it was only at that point that I realized I, I don't want this I I'm not in love with this person I was more focused on building what looks like a relationship or what looked like what I was meant to have rather than mm. actually being interested in forming a loving connection with another person and mm. um, so that is something that I'm very very aware of um in relationships i love that um i think that goes 
across the board, doesn't it? It's not even just relationships. It's like, I think a lot of people are stuck in what, you know, that mindset of where they think they ought to be in their lives at certain points. And that could be in their career, in their, are they on the, on the, are they on the house ladder? Are they on the housing ladder yet? Are they living with their partner? Are, you know, all the sort of societal kind of like, you've got to be here at this point when you get to this. And I genuinely believe that, like, I believe that that was, that was the rules. And I know that everybody's kind of, people cannot deny that people are not like looking around their friends and like seeing, okay, okay, so they've just got engaged. Maybe we should consider getting engaged, you know, or you know, that that's a fact. And once we let go of that and actually, and I think this is a gift of recovery is like actually priority number one is getting to know myself yes. first. It's inside out, isn't it? It's getting to know myself first. And then from that point, you know, start looking at, and I, I'm a big believer in, you know, goals, you know, start creating some goals for yourself around, you know, what you want a relationship to look like. Mm. Um, start, yeah. Um, but I think you need to have done that inner work first mm. before, before going, going ahead. Yeah. yeah. And that connects really nicely to the, the first year thing, because, you know, as you both said, when we're going through that first year, we're, we're growing at such a fast rate and we're changing at such a fast rate and what we like and what we don't like and who we think we are is changing. Mm -hmm. And the further we get into sobriety, the more internal work we've done and are able to do on a daily basis, because doing that internal work does become part of our daily practice, you know, reflecting at the end of each and every day, thinking about our part in things, thinking about what our fears are, what our, you know, our stresses are, what parts of our lives that we think we could do better, that the more you do that, the more you become a desirable person to be around. And ultimately, the more you become a desirable potential partner, and I know that in my early days, and to be honest, I'll say for my first three years, because I was a hot mess, I, I would not have been an attractive potential partner because the, the kind of people that I aspire to be with at some point in my life, they weren't gonna wanna be with that Alex, no way. Because she didn't know who she was. She didn't know what she was doing. She didn't know what was up, what was down, what was left, what was right didn't have a purpose, didn't have hobbies, didn't have, you know, I, I wasn't a whole person yet. And mm -hmm. I do believe now, and I mean, I'm not, I'm not dating in a way that I'm like, I must find the partner, I must settle down, I must this, I must that. Like, you know, if the person appears wonderful, if they don't, most days I think also wonderful, some days I think, ah! but, <laughs> you know, I'm a whole person without that. And I think when we go into dating thinking they they will complete me or, they will solve this part of me that needs solving or they will fix this part of me that needs fixing. That's potentially putting way too much pressure on another person. Whereas if we're saying I'm a whole person and I would like somebody to come alongside me and just compliment what I already am, not mm. to make me something else. That is first of all, uh, so more attractive. And second of all, so much healthier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think in, in that first year, we, we do tick so many boxes very quickly or, or we can do. So, you know, for me, 
very quickly I sorted out my home life very quickly I sorted out work and then it feels like the next box really should be relationships but I think if you can wait to fill that box further down the road you will be in a much better position um one of the things that you made me think about and you started to talk about this so forgive me for starting to bring it up um was the sexual side of relationships yeah um and it in the same way for me in the same way that when I was sober I was felt like a brand new little person just learning who I was um that was very much the case for me sexually as well um having only had a lot of very drunk sex um I didn't really know who I was sexually and I did feel like I was learning things from scratch um and that can be that's a very vulnerable position to put yourself in um but but there are definitely ways to to manage that um and I've been I think quite upfront in sexual situations about that um that people will often ask well what do you like sexually what are your favorite positions and so on and I quite like to put out there well I'm actually only really discovering this side of myself recently do you want to learn together is this something we can explore together and and people might feel ashamed of putting that kind of thing out there but I think that's quite a sexy um offering to say to someone like can we discover this together um putting it out there that you know you do feel a little bit vulnerable and that you're not you're not some sexual expert who's going to be hanging from the ceiling <laughs> uh, but I'm still I don't ever plan to hang from the ceiling but um don't you I do <laughs> well never say no um, um but, but you know we, this is a program of rigorous honesty and and be honest um and put yourself only put yourself in situations where you feel safe of course um and and be honest about where you are I think that's really important yeah I imagine that the male and the male and female side of that is probably quite different how did you find it when you did start you did start dating and having sex over Christian yeah I think just to carry off the back of what you just said there Hannah about you know feeling safe um, I think that is something that you gain through recovery is intuition. You're much more in tune with that, aren't you? Um, and uh, you know when something's right or something's wrong. Um, I just go against that so often in when I was drinking. Like my morals were just like disgusting. <laughs> um, um, but yeah, in terms of Alex, what you just mentioned there, um, how did I, what was the question? <laughs> how, how did you feel about, about having sex and, and that kind of side of relationships when you first, after your first year? Yeah. Um, well, I think I, it's like you, you, <laughs> like one one thing at a time isn't it there's no like um black or white you know that's applicable to every single situation that you're in and yeah. that is actually another gift of recovery is like things just like I don't know happen organically and in my experience it's been like organic it hasn't felt forced um it's always felt consensual um and yeah, 
I don't know. And, and I think that's where a lot of our problems lie is when we overthink and we get anxious about what something might be like. Mm. You know, today we live one day at a time, one hour at a time. We focus on whatever it is that we're focusing on at that time. Mm. Um, so yeah. I think that's, that's kind of, that's kind of I, it. I, that's also one of the things to say about sober sex is that you are suddenly so much more able to be in the moment and intuitive. And what, what I'm trying to put out there is that sober sex can be amazing, guys. So people out there that are afraid of it, um, the, the level of connection or um, feeling or whatever it is, it is a very different experience. So um, it isn't, if people are approaching it with, with fear, it can also be lovely. Yeah, I think that I, I mean, I come from it, come at it from a slightly different angle. So just to kind of give it a bit of context, I have a bit of a history of a little bit of trauma when it comes to this stuff. So for me, mm. the process of working out what sober sex means for me has been a very slow and steady one. Um, and I think, I know for a, for a fact from men and women that I've spoken to in sobriety that a lot of them also have that history and have, have found it a little bit of a, that kind of separation of in the moment and in your head when you've had a kind of sexual trauma is very difficult to, to just put into place. It doesn't, it's not something that kind of just happens. Um, and so what kind of happened for me was that I got myself I was with this guy that I was dating and we were in a situation where something was about to happen and I just said you know what this doesn't feel right this doesn't feel right I feel scared and this this doesn't feel right and because I was sober I was able to say that and again he was respectful he he didn't you know he didn't push anything and after that when I started kind of talking to my sponsor and to my other friends in recovery I've talked to Hannah about it a lot um, and now my therapist, I've now been able to start unpicking why I feel the way that I feel and little baby steps to take to, you know, regain some of that, some of that confidence. Because when I was drinking, I had suppressed all of that fear so much because I felt like I had to have sex because everybody else was doing it. And if I ever got myself in a situation with a guy and I don't put the blame on them at all, I would do it because I felt like I had to not because I actually wanted to. And that was not that I didn't, you know, I didn't say no, I wasn't forced to have sex. And I do, I do acknowledge that that does happen. Um, and that that's a whole separate kind of trauma work that needs to be done. But I put myself in situations where I was with somebody and I felt like because say, for example, I'd gotten into bed with them, or because I'd spent the whole night talking to them, and they'd been buying me drinks all night, or whatever, that it was a transactional thing. Yeah. And part of my work in sobriety has been about finding the confidence to actually know what feels right. Like you were saying, Christian, being aware of, okay, does this feel right? But for me, I have to check in with myself every single moment along the way to make sure that I do feel safe at every point. Um, yeah. And that means in terms of dating, when I've known someone for a little while, just saying to them like, look, I've got this stuff. I've got this anxiety, I've got this fear around sex and exactly what you were saying, Hannah, like I want to explore it, but I need you to be patient with me and I need you to be open to exploring it with me. And the person, I haven't found that person yet, but the person that can do that with me 
you know, great. Let's yeah. do it. <laughs> <laughs> There's two things, um, which for me are sort of elephants in, in the room, um, in a way, are, I uh, hear what you say about, you know, trauma. Um, and uh, I think there's a lot of hurt people out there as a result of, well, first of all, some probably people who feel quite ashamed because they've just kind of allowed that to happen. They probably wanted it to happen in a way, but it was kind of like the, the sort of, there was no thought necessarily put into, you know, sex can be quite a sort of, it changes things a lot, even if, drunk or not drunk, it does sort of change things. And I think people are, there are people that are scarred from experiences that they've had. Um, and uh, aren't necessarily um, comfortable with letting people in. There's this anxiety around letting people in and I've had experience, I've been on like the other end of that, being the person that wants to be, and then it's like, mm. yeah. um, and it's, it's quite like frustrating, but also kind of have to have empathy around that because everyone's had shit things that have happened or stuff that they can barely remember. Um, and I think people still, you know, carry some shame and shame and guilt around it. Mm. Um, yeah. And I think the second thing was that the uh, difference with guys and girls, the elephant in the room with dating and, and sex and stuff, so the clock, <laughs> you know, women, not saying that all women want to have children, but like in their very nature, they are programmed to have children. And I think there's, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not an expert, but perhaps an underlying fear that if they don't find someone to procreate with <laughs> um there's a bit of that kind of like i need someone quickly who's it going to be um whereas for guys we don't have that fear we don't have that as much yeah yeah i i have female friends in the rooms who that is a concern for um and and, and, and that's a, a very valid and, and like you said, biologically programmed um, motivator a lot of the time. Um, I, th I think for me, because I knew how much time I had already spent having relationships before I was sober that were definitely not going to go anywhere and that wouldn't have had a future because I was drinking, taking a little bit more time now doesn't seem so so bad and I see the the reward benefit in waiting a little bit of time to then have the absolutely right relationship rather than jumping into the wrong, wrong relationship and wasting yet another five ten years in something that isn't right um but yeah that that's a very valid fit I think what we're talking about a lot here is boundaries isn't it when we've been talking about um sex and about other things is in sobriety we learn how to put boundaries in place um and explaining where you're at said knowing what your boundaries are going to be and explaining them and honoring them um sometimes the shame we get from times when we weren't sober is that 
we overstepped our own boundaries and we caused shame in ourselves in that way. Um, and, and it isn't just sexual boundaries. And, you know, there is at any stage when you are dating, whether you are just talking to someone, whether you are physically on a date or whether you are um, going a little bit further down the line, you can, you at no time owe any bits of yourself to anybody else. Um, you can absolutely in a, in a polite and calm way finish that situation and move away if it isn't right for you you don't have to to stay with someone because they have bought you dinner or, or whatever else it might be um have boundaries in place to to look after and to protect yourself 100 mm, percent. and I think another thing that really springs to mind for me is that you know just because for me casual sex is not something that works for me that's not to say that you can't have casual sex and sobriety. Like you a hundred percent can. I know lots of people who've had so much fun and, you know, have really enjoyed this newfound kind of yeah. sense of empowerment that they have in being able to have kind of a bit of sexual experimentation and to, you know, have a bit of fun and a play and all of that kind of thing. It's, you know, it's not something that works for me, but that's not to say at all that you can't do that in sobriety because you 100% can. Yeah. yeah. Another thing um, <laughs> you hear, so I, I obviously I'm, I'm coupled up. I have actually, I'm with someone and I live with them and she's, you know, uh, also in the rooms, but that was one of those things which is weird because it kind of it was organic and we were friends before mm -hmm. and it's definitely not something that I had necessarily um thought was on the on, on the cards but it just whatever happened just kind of evolved into to being being more than that and um love that but I what I would say is um <laughs> if you're proactively going to certain meetings because there are like certain guys or certain girls that you fancy then you might want to check your priorities because you know my sponsor was actually quite um he was like don't chat to women at meetings like early days he was like don't yeah. like, quite 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 firm on that as well um yeah yeah it's not, yeah. Fair, on, it's not fair on them it's not fair on yeah it's definitely not fair on them and it's not why they're um yeah, so I, I would just, you know, if, if you are new to the rooms and you're, <laughs> you know, going to certain meetings for that reason, maybe just check your motives. Yeah, uh, and I think there's the added thing of friendship, isn't there? So, you know, in the early days, they say men support men and women support women, and especially in terms of sponsorship and stuff like that, because with, with mm -hmm. somebody who's taking you through that kind of intimate stuff, if you do that with somebody of the opposite sex, there is a massive risk that you're going to develop something else for this person. And then the relationship has completely changed. And I, I mean, I have lots of, you know, male friends in sobriety, Christian's one of them. Um, but that has had to, oh, Linus is barking. Um, that is something that I've only really pursued the, the stronger that my sobriety has been because it's, it can be very difficult when you're supporting someone or when you're being supported by someone not to blur the line. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, 
I I think that, that what that leaves some people with then is how they do meet people. Um, so I've had a lot of experience of online dating um, and that's if for anyone that can be a, an interesting wild and wacky um, world to be um, exploring. Um, and for, for me, I've always been very upfront with my dating profile. Um, so there are, depending on what apps you're on, sometimes there are places where it says, do you drink? Yes, no. Do you smoke? Yes, no. Do you do drugs? Yes, no. Um, so I'm always, of course, entirely honest on that. Um, and I will normally put something in my, um, my little bio or something like that to say sober since or fun loving sober yogi or something like this for just to make sure it's really highlighted um and I find that is fantastic because it automatically um weeds out the really really heavy drinkers um I suspect I haven't been approached by anyone in that sort of way um and that's sort of my first defense um of from ending up in in that sort of dating situation um and if people are worrying about you know that narrowing your dating pool um I always think you know I am when I'm on a dating app I'm so choosy anyway uh, <laughs> you know out of 40 people I'm probably saying yes to one um so you know we, we cast the net super wide on loads of different things so I'm not um I think trying to increase your options by um you know by not declaring that you are sober is it's not necessary there are millions of, of wonderful people out there um and i'm much more interested in in making sure that i'm attracting the right kind of people um some people um will automatically ask about that and be curious and and that's fantastic because that leads itself into its own conversation again you know be prepared with what sort of boundary you want to put in place around how much you divulge and that's that's something very personal um how do you uh, do that Han? what do you generally say so i my rule and this is my rule in life with my sobriety is that i will never lie if i am asked um but besides what i put on my profile I don't bring up very much more than that unless I am asked and until it comes up and it does very naturally come up um, because if we are talking on a date about who my friends are um, and where I might have met them for example then mm. a lot of wonderful friends are sober people um, and that can lead into a conversation. Mm. Um, if someone asked me what I was doing this morning and I was at an AA meeting I will not lie about that. That is something, um, so I shouldn't call it a lie because if you don't want to tell people you're at a meeting, you absolutely don't have to, and that's not a lie. But for, for me, that is at the point where I will say, ah, oh, well, actually I attend regular AA meetings and that's where I was this morning. Um, if someone says to me, why are you sober? I will very briefly explain, ah, oh, it was because I had a problem with alcohol. Um, I've now been sober for four years. And then depending on what stage that's come up, I might or I might not elaborate any further. Um, but I find that that sort, of, that sort of approach of just bringing it up when asked um, about diff in different aspects of my life means that it comes out bit by bit. Um, Has it ever been a problem for you, Hannah? Has anyone ever said, 
oh, actually, in which case, or have they ever, you know, said anything which may have caught your guard? I've been, I was going to say I've been very lucky, but I would hope that this is, this would be the same for most people, is that, no, I've, I've never had a bad reaction. I've never had someone go, oh, well, are you an alcoholic? Um, what I've had is actually the opposite. And I, I, I did want to bring this up because I found it really interesting was that I think people take it much less seriously than we do. Um, and not necessarily in a good way. I had a relationship for, for four or five months and towards the end of the relationship when things were breaking down and we were discussing it, he said to me, I never really understood that you were actually an alcoholic. I never really understood that it affected your thinking. He was like, you told me that you were an alcoholic. He went, but I just saw this beautiful, blonde, successful woman. And I thought she just partied a bit too hard and she takes it too seriously. Um, if anything, people probably see us uh, or people have seen me and not thought um, and, and not seen the reality of what I was trying to, to say or to explain to them. Um, I had two other interesting experiences. One was someone I was talking to online um, and we were discussing maybe having a Zoom meeting. And I said, I am really tired of, of Zoom meetings, meaning work Zoom meetings. And the person said, oh, I attend online AA Zoom meetings too. You must be in the rooms. And I wasn't actually declaring that that they were someone who, who heard the phrase Zoom meetings. Um, and and that, was, that was lovely to meet someone online and we were both in the rooms and, and we discovered that together. And that was a, uh, a short-term relationship that I had. Um, I did have one time, now, now that I've thought about it after your question, Christian, where someone, they didn't react badly, but um, well, I will let you decide how badly. Um, but on, on the third date, it came up all, um, so, you know, wh why did your drinking get so, so bad or, or why did it get to a point where you decided you wanted to stop? And I said, I explained that actually, um, a few years previously, my mother had passed away and that my drinking really got out of control at that stage. Um, and it led me to a point where I needed to stop. And he said to me, oh, so when you get over your mother being gone, <gasps> we'll be able to drink again. And yeah. <laughs> so many things wrong with that sentence. Um, anyone bereaved will understand, or, or not even bereaved, but just with some emotional intelligence will understand <laughs> that that's not the right thing to say about my mother and also not the right thing to say about drinking. Correctly, has he there? Yeah. Dug himself a bit of a hole. Yeah. Um, so there was no fourth date. That was a third date that, for with which there was no fourth date. Um, but no, you know, genuinely, I think, you know, especially amongst young people, there are more and more people who just aren't drinking. The, the population of teetotalers, you know, they say one in five people under 25 just don't drink because of health and, you know, the awareness we have around that and so on. So I think the word sober has, um, uh, is losing some of the stigma. Um, so it's a lot easier to talk about. Um, and I think it is, it, it will hopefully, if you're someone new and thinking about dating, be received much better um, than you think it will. And also we are badasses. We have achieved something 
amazing. Um, you know, we have walked through the flames of fire and we have come out the other side. And that's, you know, maybe you will have to explain that to someone, but that's a really cool thing. Um, I prefer people that have had something difficult in their life to overcome. It makes us more interesting. So, so go out there and be proud of that as well when you're doing this. Uh, if somebody doesn't, if that doesn't work for somebody, then they're not the right person. I know, Christian, you mentioned before that you, you might have had a bit of experience with that. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah, so for them, it was, it was difficult. And I think it was purely from a sort of, they had this like romantic idea of, um, you know their their partner and drinking wine wine together you know on the sofa and or wherever on holiday and she couldn't quite come to terms with and i felt as if she kind of thought that maybe i would i would probably change her mind oh you know what you know that does sound nice i mean it does sound nice yeah <laughs> be like that with us would it <laughs> but unfortunately yeah so yeah and I you know I, I obviously stuck to my guns there and obviously yeah that's for me that was like well I think if somebody is enough into you um they would they would kind of just respect that and and Maybe maybe it was that it was too difficult for the, for them to sort of imagine that yeah. there wasn't enough reflection around. Oh, what might you know being with this person mean if they don't drink? Mm. Um, so I don't want to give them a hard time. You know, I don't think they're bad people or or anything like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you know, sorry. You had. Um, been contacted by anybody where their motive for reaching out to date you might have been more to do with looking at their own drinking because yes, uh, I, I, I yeah I found a little bit it can be if you know if you put it on your dating profile and someone is a little bit worried about their own drinking I've definitely felt like I've been dated by someone who who wanted to be around a safe person where they wouldn't where they might be able to not drink or I, I had two situations where it wasn't even as like hidden as that it was right <laughs> so one person who said oh I just stopped drinking yesterday and I was like right okay cool good luck with that talk to you maybe in a year and then <laughs> the next person um who I also on my profile it also says at the moment it says proudly three years sober in about two weeks, hopefully it will say four years sober. Um, but it's, yeah, this person had said, oh, I'm in the rooms as well, blah, 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 blah. And we'd been chatting for a few weeks um, and then they disappeared, which BT dubs is one of my pet peeves, ghosting. Don't believe in it, mate. Just tell me you're not interested. I'm a big girl, I can deal with it. Anyway, so I assumed that he was ghosting me and then about four days later, he messaged me to tell me that he'd relapsed. Aww. And it was really difficult because 
I like we've been chatting for a few weeks and I really like the guy but I just had to say to him like look I'm so sorry but if if you're really if you really want to do this you know you need to focus on you and you need to focus on getting your sobriety you know under control if in however long you want to message me again feel free but I yeah. I cannot be dating someone either who's in active addiction or who's just 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 got sober because I know that that wouldn't have been safe for me and so I don't I don't want to put that on another person um but there was another guy who clearly hadn't read my profile at all and was like hey do you want to go day drinking tomorrow no no I don't not at all. <laughs> that's quite you know I, I was dating somebody for a little while and I'm, I'm also vegetarian um and Alex knows you know very into fitness and running and so on and this was clearly a person who wanted to make a lifestyle change so we started dating explained he wanted to eat less meat and and not drink um so we were living this sort of lifestyle very briefly and then he sort of blew up in my face one day and said I just want to go to the pub and eat a pie and I was like okay we are not the right people for each other um so he tried (laughs) yes yeah, absolutely. Just don't try, try not to try with me. That's all right. Try trial it some other way. <laughs> what do we say about ghosting, um, Alex? Because um, uh, I had a, I had a situation where I met somebody on a on a stag weekend. Um, <laughs> yeah, but we decided when we we're back, and they were from Liverpool, and. Uh, I was living in Brighton at the time and I had this like, I thought it was just like a, you know, that was it, it was some, hook up on a hook up on a stag. And then I got a message out the blue and started talking and I had some free time on my hands. I was like, why did I come and see you? <laughs> and uh, I did. And I thought we had like, we went to like, uh, karaoke bar we went around a museum like she showed me some of the sites of Liverpool just for listeners he did all of this sober sober karaoke in a bar full of people drinking and being pissed and I sang a song with her on stage Amazing. right so I was like best day ever then, <laughs> um, it didn't like lead any further than that but I did stay at her she lived with her folks and there was a spare room because obviously it was Liverpool and it was late um then went home the following day nothing <gasps> wow never yeah, I was like yeah like I was like yeah I think it was the following day I was like hey you know how's it going thank you so much nothing following day this is something that really really does get my goat and to be honest I think it's a control thing as we've touched on before Mm. one thing I will say is that in my sobriety if I've gone on a first date with somebody and I don't feel like I want to see them again I will always always send them a message being like look I had a really nice time but I didn't feel a spark I really hope you find what you're looking for every time it's just it's just they're not left wondering they know, and that's it. Other way around, I have had, oh, sorry, things are really busy at work at the moment. I can't really, I'll message you when things are less busy. Six months down the line, haven't heard anything. Sorry, I've got the kids this weekend. I'll let you know when I'm free next week. Nothing. 
or just the classic nothing at all. And I'm just like, do they think that I'm going to like stalk them? Do they think that I'm going to break if they tell me, if they're honest? And I, I just find it very frustrating that that is not just common courtesy that people extend both ways. I find it very frustrating, but I'm working on letting it go. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it definitely says more about them than it does yeah. about you or what they think of you. I think, you know, we have a program of rigorous honesty <laughs> and how to express ourselves and we are not afraid. Um, and it shouldn't be scary to just send a lovely message like you send to people. Um, but a lot of people are afraid of it. Um, I was, Christian started to suggest some sober dates he'd had while in, in Liverpool. And I was thinking about my first sober date. Um, so I went to a pub, which I don't recommend, but um, I felt I, I'd made the person aware that I didn't drink. So, so I felt safe. But one thing that I did do was drank Diet Coke in the same way that I would have as if I was drinking yeah. so it, we had a lovely first date and we were talking and talking and talking we were there for about three hours and I drank about seven diet cokes and I didn't sleep for about 24 hours so do be wary of that um lime soda is the way to go lime soda. I did that, no but see I did that with lime soda and I spent the whole night on the toilet weeing because yeah. <laughs> FYI, a bit too much. It's worse things, worse things though. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I think, um, you know, like like Kristen said, you can go and do karaoke and have fun. And and dating is one of those ways to explore having fun sober. Um, it turns out, as I learned halfway through my diet coke binge, was that I still get louder and louder and more confident as the night goes on, um, and I can still talk for three hours on a first date without needing that liquid courage. Um, there are there are all sorts of, of fun things that you can do, which I'm now having a complete mind blank on. Uh, you've gone, you've gone paddle boarding. That's something that I really admired you for doing when you told me about that. I've yeah. gone bowling, I've done mini golf. Mini golf is always a winner. Lots of mini golf. <laughs> Lots of, to be honest, just going for a really lovely walk. Like I love walking anyway. And in lockdown, let's be honest, that's the only way I can date at the moment anyway. Absolutely. But lots of walks. And I mean, because I have Linus, Linus is an absolute date win. People love meeting the dog. <laughs> so yeah, walks are lovely. Um, and I mean, that's, those are the kind of things that you can do where you don't necessarily go into an environment where there's alcohol, if that is something that you want to avoid. Yeah. Whereas I think like Christian was saying later down the line, going to bars and things like that isn't necessarily as hard as it is at the beginning. Yeah, dating when drinking can be, people can be really boring with it. You know, it's very easy to just be like, oh, let's just go to the bar. Let's go to a bar and have a few drinks. We, it's, I think it's a good, um, a good relationship starter to, to come up with something fun and creative to do together. Um, I've done, I've been, uh, what else have I done? I've been on the boats on the Thames. Oh, the, yeah. um, what are they called? The foot pedal boats. Many yeah. on a foot. Pedalos. Pedalos. Ped Thank you. Um, I've done the pedalos a lot. Although if you get on a pedalo and you pay for an hour and the date isn't going well, you are stuck on a boat in the middle of the water with someone for an hour, just mm. as a walk. Um, 
but yes there are many many things and as spring comes along and the summer um follows there should there be lots more opportunities hopefully guys for some better dates and doing activities i find is it kind of especially if you're feeling anxious as a lot of us do when we first start dating so but doing an activity that partially takes the focus is actually really nice because it's not like being sat at a table with staring at somebody with a drink in your hand where obviously you would usually have alcohol and then you don't and then it feels like a lot of pressure whereas if you're walking or playing golf or on a paddle boat or whatever there's there's it there's just a bit of that pressure is taken off because you're doing an activity together and you know worst comes to worst you just talk about the activity we uh i did a date the other day which was a walk but we did borrow my doggy as well oh. uh, we got yeah a dog and yeah i mean this particular dog was very energetic and it was actually a little bit annoying because <laughs> You stopped and he just wanted to continue playing and you're like no no, no we're not playing we're stopping. <laughs> we're stopping and eating food but um yeah it's still nice you know i can imagine i can obviously it's not like a first date but i can imagine something like that might be quite nice because it kind of especially if you both like dogs obviously if you don't yeah. maybe not so much yeah. but, um, at least you can like play with it a bit and yeah yeah, definitely. I think I also wanted to go back to something that you said earlier, Christian, which was talking about, you know, the relationship that you're in now and how it kind of started as a friendship and then it kind of organically turned into something else. Um, yeah. That obviously lockdown life makes, makes that slightly difficult, but actually that's kind of the way that I, in my sober life, choose to do dating anyway. So where, you know, if you're going for a date, when you were drinking or when I was going for a date when I was drinking, it would inevitably end up, end up getting pretty hot, hot and heavy because I would be really drunk. Whereas now I see, say, the first however many dates, I don't even put a number on it, but purely getting to know the person, but also, and letting them get to know me, but I think also in my newfound kind of empowerment and confidence in who I am, it's like, I see myself as a commodity. I see myself as something that someone else would want. And it's about kind of, not, not like going through a whole checklist in my head, obviously, but yeah, just, just really testing compatibility and not being like, this has to end in a kiss or this has to end in sex or this has to end in holding hands or whatever. Just, you know, if that feels natural, then great. But if it doesn't, and I still want to see the person again, that's okay. There's just less, I put a lot, a lot less pressure on myself these days. And mm -hmm. kind of what you were saying about the organically, you know, we're so much more in tune with our bodies now that we're not drinking, that if I do feel like I want to do something, then I can actually sense that. Whereas before when I was drinking, it was like everything was muted and everything was numb. And I kind of just like did stuff because I was like, oh, this is the point when we do this. This is the point when I do this. Um, whereas now it's just much more about how I feel in the moment. I cannot believe how much, like, yeah, that's so, so true. But I also cannot believe how much my view on, like, what I want from a relationship has changed. Like, my, my before getting sober, I, well, even actually during sobriety, I was like, yeah, life of a bachelor, that's, that's me, like, you know, and that's, just what I want but actually having experienced like 
I haven't really touched on it, but after like my first year of sobriety and then kind of going into the world of dating again and, you know, there was some casual stuff that happened there, casual sex. And I actually realized, and also I got a bit carried away with it, shock. <laughs> um, it didn't, it wasn't what I wanted anymore. And I had to step away from it. Um, and that's when, whatever you want to call it, high power sort of I was like, okay, yeah, no, you, I think you're right to be doing that. And then eventually something came about and I allowed that to happen and sort of went with it. And it, yeah, has always just kind of felt, felt right. And, you know, it's, yeah, just like, I, I want to like, I don't exactly know, I haven't got like timelines of when I want this to happen, then that to happen or anything. Like I'm trying to avoid mm. having that, but I'm able to now have those open and honest conversations with, with my partner um, and to say, I don't know, or to say, yeah, I think I would quite like that. Um, but yeah, it's, um, yeah, communication. Communication is something that we get better at, isn't it? Because we learn in, in sobriety, like Hannah was saying, we learn how to be honest and we learn how to know what is our stuff and what's other, other people's stuff. We learn when to let go of, you know, we can't change another person, but what we can do is control our actions. And that actually lends itself really well to the foundations of a healthy relationship. And obviously no relationship is going to be always easy at all, but the tools that we have for life, I believe are not just romantic relationships, but you know, family relationships. And we're actually gonna get into that next week, but um, mm. just lends itself to, to really healthy lines of communication. Um, mm. And being able to, yeah, really like, you know, Christian, you talked about goals. I have a list of, you know, things that, for me, they're kind of manifestations, I guess, that in in a, the relationship that I would eventually like to have, I would like there to be good communication. I would like us to make each other laugh. I would like us to be attracted to each other most of the time. I would like us to stimulate each other intellectually. I would like us both to have our own lives and our own interests and our own passions, but also have shared ones. Like, and being in sobriety has been like, okay, I can really identify now what is super important to me. What are my core values? And in my relationships before, I didn't care if we had shared values. Whereas now, if somebody, for example, is intolerant of other people, they're not somebody that is going to be a good partner for me. But I know that now. And to know what my core values are, and I know that's another thing that's important to you, Christian, and you, Hannah, um, mm. to have at least some shared values and not to have values that are directly opposing each other is something that I'm I'm really aware of now and I can recognize and I know that you know if I go on a first date and I'm really attracted to somebody but they're you know racist I'm not going to be like yeah let's go for another date because I'm attracted to you like no that's just not <laughs> whereas drunk Alex would have been like, oh you know they're attractive let's just see what happens no Alex come on come yeah. on yeah the um our our toll yeah we're less willing to sacrifice those things that we believe in just for the pursuit of something empty. Um, I, I think for me as well, my, the, 
the the space or or the gap that I expect my relationship to fill is much smaller now my expectations are lower in a good way and that I'm not looking for someone to uh to live every single aspect of my life with me or to share every single passion because I have um I have ways of exploring those things with other people um I I don't yeah I'm not expecting a partner to to save me I definitely looked for people to save me before I got sober and now that I have saved myself all the rooms have saved me or my higher power has saved me I'm not looking for that anymore I don't expect that um or to be saving somebody else to be saving a partner we're not looking for that either very true yeah very true um yeah I feel that that is like all things that is now the right size you know I've managed to right size that that expectation and if someone doesn't love yoga then I will keep pursuing my yoga passion separately and that is absolutely fine amazing guys this sorry go on christian oh no i feel like we we were probably over time (laughs) go for it go for it all right okay i was just gonna say talking about like interests and and hobbies and passions and shared stuff and i think it's an interesting one when it comes to dating I, i like what you just said there hannah like you don't need to be fully interested in what the other person's interested in. In fact, like, I think in a way it's kind of healthy to have separate, <laughs> you know, separate things, um, separate things that you're interested in and that you do. And if there's a crossover, wicked. But, you know, I don't, for me, it works that there's a bit of both. Yeah. Um, 100%. And actually, Again, we are close to time, but you've just sparked. That's another great way to meet people. You know, if you're if you're going to a dance class or if you're going to uh, something else that I can't think of right now, <laughs> something that involves other people. You know, you might meet people there, and then you have that that shared interest, which is brilliant. Mm. Um, yeah, guys, this has been so soul filling. I've absolutely loved today. Been so yeah. fun. Um, so we will wrap it up as always with some gratitude. Christian, what is something that you're grateful for today? Today I am grateful for the long walk I went on this morning and for living right next to the sea. <laughs> I'm very jealous of that. Han? I'm I'm grateful for the sunshine and the change in the seasons. It just smells different outside. You can feel the spring coming. Um, and as the seasons move forward, you know, I feel like changes, changes afoot, hopefully. Um, so yeah, it's making me feel very optimistic. And I am grateful for connection. I have been feeling so connected to my friends this week. I feel like I've kind of I've gone out of my way to speak to people more, but also other people have gone out of their way to speak to me. And I've just felt really close to people, even though even though we've been in lockdown. So I'm feeling very grateful. And both of you, obviously, seeing you both today. And um, yeah, well, that's us. Thank you so much for joining us, everyone. We will be back next week with relationships. Please like and subscribe. And if you have any questions or feedback about what you've heard today, we would love to hear from you. 
send us a message on Instagram at Young and Sober Podcast or email us at youngandsober at outlook.com. That is it for episode five. We are young and sober. Bye. 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 Bye.